slow down, flip us over, and celebrate. The Turn Turtles are here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Turn Turtles. My name is Meej, and over there we have Matt. Hello. And Adam. Hi. Hey, guys, what have you been up to the past two weeks? Let's start with Adam today. Uh, the past two weeks, we had a baby. Nice. And Woo! that means I've done little else. Um, some Nintendo. What games has the baby played? The baby has played, um, how many diapers can I fill in an hour? Nice. Nice. And she's played how many times can I wake up in an evening after sleeping all day perfectly without any issue? Yep. And Classic. Uh, Sounds fun. Nocturnal yep. baby. Yep. We played a little game with the kids just today actually called Doodle Dice. I think Ooh. Julie gave it to us. Ooh, I might be wrong. Um, you just roll nice. these dice with little pictures on it and you have to match up the picture to the cards and you get to re-roll your dice and make these little cute little pictures. And it's fun for the kids. It's matching and is looking it? for patterns and stuff. Is there any drawing in it or is that a misnomer? Uh, the drawing is the, the doodles are on the card and the dice have little pieces of a picture. So you're matching the doodle with the dice. Oh, I see. Like a dice has like a face or a little slant or a curve line or something. And you need to try mm -hmm. to make the right pieces of lines or something to make a little picture. Nice. So, yep. 10 out of 10. Adam approved. Doodle dice. <laughs> Extensive review coming, I'm sure. In-depth. Video review. Sounds great. <laughs> I'd also like to see how it's played, because the rules sound very complicated. Yeah. Nice. Uh, what about you, Matt? I have done a bit of gaming. I bought three new games on a whim. I didn't know which one I wanted, so I just got all three of them, and now I have zero hobby whim. money. A whim. I bought Imperial 2030, Brass Birmingham, and Beyond the Sun. Sun, sun, sun. Sun, sun. Which I've been looking forward to Brass. I'm oh, not really man. familiar with the other two. I am pumped for all three of them. I've been very excited to try all of them for a long time. And then I nobody I know was buying them. So I said, hey, I'll buy them. So I've almost bought Beyond the Sun probably four or five times since it oh, came yeah? out. Nice. Yeah. So we I have not yet played Imperial twenty thirty and have not yet opened Brass Birmingham. But we have played Beyond the Sun twice, designed by Dennis Chan and published by Rio Grande. And it is a space themed tech tree game using a, a there's a sideboard as well of planets you can colonize, moving your ships around. You earn ore, which we lovingly call coal, and people are another resource that you get to level up on the tech tree, uh, and then by doing that, you'll reveal event cards, which are mostly good for everyone, which I like. It's especially good for the person who reveals it, but it's mostly good for everyone. And then you get to pick a new technology based on the previous technologies. And this tech tree, depending on what you've leveled up, will help you with your colonization on the sideboard and resource gathering, your ship building and ship movement. So I, we have had a lot of fun so far. I've played it with four players and I played it with three. I won the first game that we played by one point. 
and Hannah dummied Adam, Mijard, and myself on the second game we played. Yeah, she did. I look forward to classic. playing it again. <laughs> yeah, classic. I, I think my fav- one of my favorite parts about this game was um, as you unlock new tech, events happen, but the events... Events in a lot of games are negative, but in Beyond the Sun, the events are positive for everybody, especially the player who uncovered the event. And I love that because it's just, mm-hmm. it's so much fun. It'll give you extra mm-hmm. resources. It'll let you do something extra, but it's never penalizing. It's always right. a good thing. And it's great. I love that. Yeah, they're hidden and randomized at the beginning of the game as well. So you don't know which event you're going to get, right. and you may not have the same ones as the last game you played. So that bit of exploration is one of my favorite things in any game. So it's really fun that it's in this one, too. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I played a couple games. I played more than this, but these are the two I'm going to talk about. Uh, so for the first time in many years, I played Wizard by Ken Fisher. I had no idea who was made classic. by it. This is just... It is a classic. So this is a your classic trick-taking game. Think Euchre. Um, I'm trying to think of another trick-taking game people might know. Anyways, but mm-hmm. the difference with Wizard is the in round one, eat, your hand is one card. Round two, your hand is two cards, etc. Until you the whole deck is dealt to all the players. Um, but before you start um, trying to get tricks, you have to bet on how many tricks you think you're going to win that round. And you get points based on your numbers so if you if you guess that you're going to win four tricks and you get all four you get 10 points per trick plus i think a little bonus if you get wrong if you say guessed five but you only won four you'd get negative 10 points it's a very fun game and trick taking is the best negative 10 Mm. per trick Um, that you guessed wrong yeah that you yeah exactly yeah and the fun thing is, if, say, there's 10 tricks to be won, right? Mm-hmm. And you and the other players all guess the right numbers so that everybody wants to win what equals to 10 tricks, right? So if I said three, you said three, and Adam said four, it's hilarious because everyone kind of wants to win, but also someone will probably get screwed over, yeah. and it's so funny. And so are you a wizard, um, Adam? No, oh. no, not at all. When, I'm real bad at that when game. When you win, do you get to be the wizard? I wish. No, it's the wizard is just the Trump, the top card. It's like the Joker. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, the other game I played, uh, I've mentioned it a couple times, but we played it again. Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth by Fantasy Flight, developed by Nathan I. Hajak and Grace Holdinghouse. So this is the game by Fantasy Flight that is a board game with a map, with an app integration. So the app tells you what the enemies are, um, how much damage they do, etc. I can honestly say the gameplay is very fun. I do not like the app. Is this the one where you because, played the app, but it was on the phone last time? Yeah, so we did it on a TV this time, mm-hmm. and that was better, but I still... <sighs> it It feels like they're trying to make a video game with a physical component, rather than a board game with a slight digital component and i hate it Mm -hmm. because i love the gameplay and the game is very fun and we're going to keep playing it but 
if I do, yeah, it's just, I don't like that you can't see what's happening behind the scenes. It just tells you what to do. Uh, whereas a game like Gloomhaven, you know what's happening. Um, you're putting the damage counters on. You're putting the things on the map. Like, it's just very hands-on. Mm-hmm. Right. I'll talk more about it later, I think. Not this episode, but as we go. In the future. Yeah. The only other thing I have so, done a little bit, because it's easy to do well holding said new baby is uh for anyone who maybe also plays chess which you should let me know by the way um chessable is a thing that you should be aware of it's this amazing free little tutorial um lesson repository where you can select openings and teachers and it like guides you through steps and lessons and things and tells you what the logic is with notes from like a grandmaster and stuff so I've been trying to hit like... So it's like Duolingo for chess. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, instead of choosing your language, you're choosing like a specific opening and some kind of tactic or whatever. And it's really well done. That's cool. And there's a lot of very high, highly rated players making the content for you to go through. So it's an app. It's a website. Really cool names for them. (laughs) What, What I started playing a little more probably six months ago or so i was that's one of the things that kind of got me i didn't really realize that there were these really specific names and openings and like the four dragons and the sicilian (laughs) and like they're all these really (laughs) sicilian defense this yeah they're all these really a lot of them have a lot of old history too like the one Mm -hmm. i've been working on is it's called the rui lopez lopez and it's like 800 years old or something made by some spanish bishop somewhere a long time ago and like there's a lot of neat is it focused behind. on the bishop piece um i mean there's only so many pieces so focused i just know, it feels like if a bishop makes it he should win with the bishop piece right isn't that how chess works or sacrifice all chess. the other pieces and leave the bishop safe yeah yeah, I'm it's not going to start describing what the opening does, but... Describe anyway, your last three games nope. in detail. <laughs> and that brings us to the topic of the week. Which is chess games in detail. Uh, no, so this week we decided to do story-based games. Um, we all, and me and Matt and me specifically, love story games. Um I was looking up on Board Game Geek how to describe them, and Board Game Geek has them under the title Thematic Games, so this is what they said about it. Thematic games contain a strong theme which drives the overall game experience, creating a dramatic story or narrative similar to a book or action movie. Um, I thought that was a pretty good way of describing a story game. You're all at a table, maybe against each other, maybe together, basically creating a story. Yep. So let's jump in and talk about our favorite ones and generate a discussion. So Matt, what you got for us? Uh, One of the favorite games in my household is by Ryan Lockett and produced by Red Raven Games called Near and Far. It is the middle of a trilogy of games in the RZN universe. The first one being Above and Below and the last one, which 
people are just receiving now after pre-order. I haven't got mine yet. It's called Now or Never. We're really excited for it. But this one is called Near and Far. And I think the thing that I love about it the most is that it is competitive and a story-driven game. So what you're mm-hmm. doing is each person gets a standee and there is a map book in front of you, which opens to uh, a certain map that you're playing on that has different locations connected by roads or sea routes. And depending on where you go there, you can look it up in the book and the player to your right or left or whatever reads a short narrative. And then you make a decision. And then based on your attack value or your skill, which is represented by hand, you can either pass or fail a certain check and then gain resources from it. But before you go out into the world, you'll be spending some time doing um, a worker placement game section of it on uh, in town. And this is, you go to one of five or six different places in town and get to do the different actions there, whether that's going to, oh man, I'm not going to remember the different names. There's the town go to hall. The, the shop. Yeah. Yeah. You can get people to help you to be your uh, your party. Yeah, part of your crew, and that's how you'll up your different attack or your skill bonuses. You can get either uh, turtles or what's the the bird is like a, a big fat emu ostrich. It's it looks like <laughs> yeah, it looks like an emu or an ostrich or yeah, something like that. So that'll help you get further along in the map, and you can get different magical items. And the whole goal of the game is to gain resources to eventually be able to craft the different cards that are in your hand, which will give you the most points, and to win it. Matt, you forgot the best location, though. Oh, no. The mine. Well, they call it a mine. (laughs) 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 So one of the biggest things that I have heard about issues with uh near and far and with other games that do the similar thing like scythe and other games of that sort is when in scythe you can move on to exploration tokens and then you'll get uh draw a card that's kind of like an event and then based on what you choose you get a certain certain resources or mechs or or whatever but i've heard that people don't like this mechanic so much because it it's not balanced necessarily. So if Adam draws a card in Scythe, he might get three wood, which eh, is pretty good. It's not bad, but if Meej draws a card, he might pay a food to get a, a mech on the board, which seems really amazing. And in Near and Far, that same kind of thing happens. You've got a card in front of you that tells you kind of maybe what the reward will be. So if there's truth involved, you might get a blue flag, which is a seven. But if, but if it's craftiness or escape, it might be a red flag, which is only a four value. What do you guys think about that? So it actually ties into what I'm going to talk about. So I'll go there. I just want to mention that there's um, near and far specifically is a campaign game. So you're playing, However many games, how many mm. games, Matt, in a campaign-ish, do you oh, think? Oh, 10 maybe? That's, okay. yeah. that's another thing um, that I, I love about Near Far. I'll just quickly do that. 
is it's yeah, a campaign yeah, yeah. game we'll and you can play it. through through each map once to the end of the campaign and there's a whole overarching story with it with characters interwoven through the whole thing and you're an important part of that and all three of you or four or however many are playing are playing through the same story which is really neat but you can also do character stories which have maybe three or four or five different games for that character arc so if you don't want to do 10 uh 10 game campaign you can do the five or they even allow you to do like just a, a one-off uh, arcade mode, which is also really neat. So if you're like, I don't want to start a whole campaign or yeah. whatever, I just want to play it once. That's really cool. Um, so to get back to the point about the unbalanced thing, I'm going to throw in the game I want to talk about because I have a, a similar, it fits in the same discussion. Um, mm-hmm. So one of my all-time favorite games is Betrayal at House on the Hill. Uh, it's by Bruce Glasgow. Uh produced by Avalon Hill. Um, there's a couple different iterations of this game. So there's Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Um, there's one that's Scooby-Doo themed, and there's also a Legacy Edition. Um, I've played all of them except Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and in these games, so we'll just talk about House on the Hill to be straightforward. Mm-hmm. In this game, you're a group of friends and you're exploring a haunted house. When you go into the house, none of the rooms, you don't know what any of the rooms are. When you go into a room, you flip a tile and discover maybe the living room, dining room, cellar, whatever. I love that mechanic. And there will be a symbol. Mm-hmm. I do too. It's amazing. There will be a symbol on that tile, most likely, that indicates which deck of cards you're going to draw from, items, events, and another thing called omens. I'm not going to get too nitty gritty into the mechanics. Um. But essentially, halfway through the game, you find out someone's been a traitor the whole time and is either trying to kill everyone else or something, something ridiculous. You, They get one rule book, everyone else gets another rule book, and you're given a whole new set of rules. A lot of people dislike this game because it is unbalanced. Yeah. Um, because those rules are different every time and it's from a whole wide range of writers. Um, and I think near and far... While it's in betrayal, it's for the story mm-hmm. in near and far. I think it's just it's not so much for the story. It's just a really cool part of the game and gives it more variety, I would say. Um, but my opinion of it is I love it because these games I'm I personally am not playing to win. I'm playing to play the story. Right. Which makes it a little bit weird inside because I didn't even consider Scythe as being part of the category we're talking about. I'm not sure if you'd agree. But I don't think it's a story game, but I think it does have that mechanic that makes it a little unbalanced. Yeah, and as much as I love that game, those cards sort of don't fit what the rest of the game is trying to do in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of very careful fine tuning going on with a lot of what's going on there, and those cards are a little bit of a throwing it to the wind, so to speak, where. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. get things that yeah kind of contradict. They're- as much as I love the cards, and I like, I often vouch for people reading them out loud and sort of getting into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. It does yeah. kind of not fit. They're a roll but, of the dice for sure. They're a bit of yeah. randomness that you might not otherwise have in a. I will say, um, Scythe. Just to be clear, Scythe has a campaign mode as an expansion, um, Rise of Fenris, but the base game doesn't. Mm-hmm. Just to put that in there yeah i i think that betrayal is definitely a game 
for the exp- experience of it. So I'm yeah, not sure. 100%. You can't really go into betrayal going, I'm going to win for sure. I'm the best betrayal no. player because that's not really the way the game will works. Whereas in yeah. near and far, you can definitely go in it saying I've, I've played two dozen games in near and far and I'm, I'm pre- getting pretty good at it. That kind of thing. I think it's, it's definitely more of a competitive game that you can try to win at that has story elements to it as well. Right. It's probably fair I think to in say the that end it comes. I was going to say it's it's probably fair to say that <laughs> as like the story element increases, generally speaking, the care for balance is going to decrease. Because as you, you know, story with like if you take the ultimate sort of extreme with something like D&D, if if your DM has underestimated or overestimated you, he's just going to change it on the fly without telling you, right? Like the mm-hmm. whole point is for that story Constantly. and to fib it if you need to. So as you kind of scale that backwards, as you get towards more classic competitive things, in theory, the story elements play less of a role and balance yeah. becomes more and, important. But And I think it depends on how your game group is approaching it. Um, so the reason this topic came up is a friend of mine got Betrayal for his birthday and he brought it to a friend group and they were trying to be rules lawyers the whole time on it like trying to be like oh but the rule says this so i can do this um and just looking for the nitty-gritty um right and in some games that makes sense in betrayal i would argue that does not make sense um because you toss out basically toss out the rule book when the betrayal happens and start over um So it depends if your game group knows what's coming up and what you're playing. So like a game like Near and Far, when we played it, yes, it's mechanical. Yes, you can win. But Matt, when me, you and Hannah did that campaign, we definitely approached it as a story game and less of a let's win this. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we would. There's a variant in there. The length of the game of Near and Far is determined by uh, a set number of tents that you have. And as you set the tents out on the locations that you visited, the you can see the game winding down. And then when someone runs out of tents, you're done the game and you count up your points and you go home. But we had started to use a variant where you add more tents at the beginning of the game because we don't really care to be overly competitive. Mm-hmm. If the game is balanced for X amount of tents, we didn't. We wanted to hear more stories. Yeah. So we would even yeah. put out a few more of the book icons on the map because we wanted more of the story, that kind of thing. Yep. Well, my character was so depressing. I was a robot who was slowly dying Mm. and losing his memory. And because we were playing it story-based, I role-played it. And in the (laughs) end, his memory got wiped and no one remembered his existence because he sacrificed himself. And it was just Mm -hmm. like, this is the best because it's story-based and I don't care if I win. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well whatever oh one thing that i love doing about with uh i love doing with games with story books that you read to each other is at the beginning of each game you come up with a voice for each character and you you do the old british lady or you do i don't know the classic canadian voice but one of the funniest things is trying to if they're recurring characters trying to mimic the voice that somebody else came up with Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> right. I love getting into it. It's so good. Uh, I think 
just to support Adam's point where he said the more story-based it is, the less um, balanced it is, I think Tales of Arabian Nights is the perfect example of that. Yes. That game is even more unbalanced than Betrayal, I, I would say. So the whole point of that game is you're in like an Aladdin-type universe exploring the world. But you can just have random conditions put on you. So you can get ensorcelled by a wizard. You can become the Grand Vizier. You can get married, and being married is the worst. <laughs> you can get crippled. You can get all these different conditions. But it's just hilarious because of the story points that happen. Right. Um, that game has... But if you go in trying to win... Yeah, it has a competitive nature to the game that they've put in there for some reason. For sure. <laughs> but I, you're not playing that game to but, compete. No, it's kind of like when you're... I can't even think of a good example, but like where you and your buddies are jokingly competing and going just so hard trying to win, knowing that you probably have no chance of actually winning. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that kind of probably brings up what I wrote down for what I thought was sort of an important part of this conversation too, which is along with the lack of balance, I think you need to have people more on the same page than you do for other types of games like Scythe or whatever people, for sure. you just have the rules, you're just, you're doing what you're allowed to do and that's it. But with this, if you have people who want different things or are out to do, you know, contradictory you know, things they they want to get out of it, it it's going to work less. And that's not even getting into the commitment level that a lot of these games take. Mm -hmm. I've, I've started mm -hmm. Gloomhaven three times and I've gotten three levels in, like the, the commitment level along with the Huge. in the moment commitment makes, I think, these a bit of a barrier that doesn't exist in other places. Yeah, certainly the campaign level games have that, like Loomhaven and yeah. Near and Far to a certain extent. But there are, like Betrayal is a an hour and a half long. It's a once-off. Yeah, yep. one-time one thing, which is really nice. Another game that I have played once, you get the legacy. once or twice. Yeah, but, I mean, that's I, true. I thought about it because of what you said with the, the people trying to be more rules lawyers than other people. And mm -hmm. that's not so yeah, much a problem sure. with non-story games right like then you just do what you're allowed to do but as soon no, as you have the creative then it's laid parts out coming in then yeah yeah for sure C creative differences man mm -hmm. another game that i have played a couple times i want to play it more is dead of winter and when i played it with buddy oh, brandon so good. and and scott uh, I was the betrayer in that game, so that was the first time I'd met Scott, and he doesn't believe me to this day about anything, so that's fun. But it's a the, good policy. <laughs> I feel like in that game, it's, it's called a crossroads game because there are crossroads cards, which are pretty much event cards that don't happen unless they trigger. So if it's your turn, the person to your left draws a crossroads card and will look for the trigger to happen on your turn. It didn't happen once when we played the game, but the rest of the game was super thematic as a post-apocalyptic zombie survival game in the middle of the winter. It was a lot of fun, 
and you can feel a story emerging through it even though it has no text which i really enjoy in a game as well one really strong mechanic about that game that i love is there won't necessarily be a traitor so i forget Mm -hmm. exactly how it goes but i think in a game of three you would have three non-traitor cards one traitor card shuffle them deal them out randomly so someone might not be the traitor or whatever the numbers are but and i love that because you don't actually know and you can vote someone out of the colony if you think they're a traitor but if they're not you're screwed you're done (laughs) yeah yeah it's a good game it's a very fun game but what i what i kind of want to go off of that is you can certainly like in uh near and far or gloomhaven have story games that are story games because they have books written and you're reading them out loud to each other but story games that are story games because of the story that you make kind of like what adam said at the beginning that you create a dramatic story with the game experience do you guys have any games that don't necessarily have a, a book or something with them but that create that story just with the the arc of the game in general my experience with story games is pretty small so i don't think so i think it depends who i'm playing with um because for example my one friend luke whenever we play betrayal he has to be the one character ox bellows because he role plays it so hard and I love that. <laughs> so we all, if he's playing, role play so hard. And then it just is a story because you're being this ridiculous character in this haunted house that it's just so dumb. Um, right. I, I love I that I think when we play Root, that happens a little bit. Yeah, but for sure. Again, I think it's more the players than the game, yeah, right? Like true. we meet. I know, Matt, when we play games, we often go out of our way to find a story if there is none. Right. Yeah. And that's just hilarious. Yeah, I think that's... Or like, for example, for example, in a small way, Beyond the Sun. Part of Beyond the Sun is you get these packages and those packages become people or ships. Mm -hmm. So we were joking around that when your people die, they get shipped off in an Amazon package to someone else and they get to unwrap them and use them. It's not a story necessarily, but we're adding this weird little flavor text. The game never says that people die. Just to put that out there, you return the people. No, but it it has a person with an X through it. Yes, that's the universal symbol for returning something to Amazon. Oh, oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. didn't know. For sure. Cool, cool. Now that but I think about Adam- it, that flavor text probably is the main reason for the, the, the races that I have played versus the races I haven't played in Root. Like, I haven't played the moles. It's because right. on the face, like, just looking at them, to me, I don't know what is cool about them. Like, I mean, the, the meeples mm-hmm. are neat and all that, but, like, the, the conspiracy and the, the rebellions... The flavor text there is probably what drew me in in the first place and had me pick them because yeah. I could sort of get into them in my head and have a little bit of a story going on, even if no one else is aware of it. For sure. You imagine but, yourself as a squirrel as part of the, yeah. the little the alliance, for sure. Yeah. But even in a game as abstract as chess, there's a story in there when you're playing it, if you want there to be. 
I want to hear you defend this, yeah. so go for it. What's that? Sorry, I missed I that. I want to hear you. you I want to hear you defend this, so go for it. Oh yeah. Well, you have your characters, your clear characters on the board. <laughs> your king and queen. You got your bishops, your horses, and your castles, and then your little knobby guys in front. Okay. And it like I you could totally see it as a war, like but a, if a you, army um, against army or okay. It, Okay, so it could be a battle, or it could be, like, a big area control of, like, a country, or, like, the world. And you can name them. If you... King Meej. If you read through... Queen Adam. If you read through Lewis, Lewis Carroll's works, um, especially Alice Through the Looking Glass, he uses chess pieces as characters and makes a story out of it. Right. Um... Board games now too, like almost every rule book you get has some sort of theming written in. Yeah. Hmm. Even Azul does. Yeah. I I do not love abstract games. If there's no theme there, nothing for me to grab a hold of with a story. Like uh, Julie and Alex lent us Othello, which is a Go esque game. I. And I said that we would play it, and I definitely want to. But I've played Pente, <laughs> which is also a Go-esque game, and I've... You know what? Maybe I need to find the story in it. But I so don't that, know if I can. <laughs> now that we've gone down this super weird rabbit hole, like, there is something to this with chess, because, like, the things that you learn when you start learning the basics is things like you want to go for the center and control the middles and you want to advance your back pieces first and you want to move the knights first because they move slower than your bishops and stuff and then there are strategies and openings which intentionally go against the grain to capitalize on people doing that and then you sort of there's a way you're trying to turn the tables on them because you've let them do this and there's a bunch of weird Mm -hmm. sort of anti-meta sort of chess stuff going on so there is a bit of a i mean when you start to understand what other people are trying to do there is a little bit of a okay he's he's doing this in his head he wants to try to achieve this and i'm trying to do this and how are we like it's the old you play the person and not the not the cards kind of a thing Mm -hmm. so there's still even in the most abstract of games sometimes Right, even in the most abstract of game, there's still the the person, or in your case, the soldiers. Right, like right, you're you're reacting to them primarily. So, I mean, sure, we can apply it here, I guess. You can apply it anywhere. I mean, if you apply it to just chess, give us a game, listeners. Give us a game, and we'll tell you what the theme is. Except Othello, apparently. Except Othello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well. Let me play it, and then I'll uh, I'll come back at you with the theme of Othello. You get to a point where the, the theming or the story just kind of is for marketing, almost. Like, if I think of, of Lost Cities up there, it's just like math. Like, you're playing cards, and you're adding and subtracting, and that's literally it. The fact that it's archaeological digs means absolutely nothing to it. It still makes it more enjoyable. And it helps sell games and makes it look pretty, but 
I mean, was there probably something but, similar? It was just numbers and it was some kind of activity. Yeah, in school probably, but... But I think one of the... An amazing game is one where the theme and the mechanics are blended seamlessly. So yes, there's a lot of games out there that you could paste any theme on it. But I think, in my opinion, the best games are the ones where it just flows together really well. So you you couldn't just slap any theme on it. The theme was very specifically picked for this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just because it enhances the play, it 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 brings it alive almost. Like, we joke, I joke a lot about how the game Concordia... There's an expansion that adds salt as a resource. But the reason that's fun is because it works so seamlessly with the system and just fits so well. Um, you couldn't throw anything in there, but salt just happens to fit the theme really well and make it more fun. That kind of brings up Concordia, because you said the word. That <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not sure that I could find the story in that game either. The theme is very strong. And you're picking up and, or it's not a pick up and deliver. You're trading, you're earning resources, that kind of thing. But is there a story in there? Like, I don't necessarily think so. You're using different cards that have different names to them. I'm not sure there's a story other <laughs> than the rise of a great trading empire. True. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we're at a point where we're looking to see if we can dig story out of other games may mean Which we is... drifted into a territory yeah. we didn't mean to get into, but... <laughs> yeah, maybe. That is one of my favorite part of gaming, though. I like winning, sure. I like competing, yeah. absolutely. And I will play to win every game that I can. But if I can steep myself in the theme and find the story in there and roleplay yeah. that through it... At that's what I love about gaming. Well, and I think I'll go as far as to say it doesn't matter how good the board game mechanics are, how good the gameplay is. If I don't like the theme, I'm not going to touch it. Yeah, I'll probably play it once or twice. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I played Azul. Right. Sorry, Julie. <laughs> but how, to what degree is theming the same as story? It's not really, I don't think. Right. Uh, the theme so. certainly helps bring out a story, whether it was intended or not. Yeah, yeah, you need one for the other. Yeah, because but... most, I would say most Euro games, you wouldn't be able to pull a story out of, like, like Power Grid, Ticket right. to Ride, any of those resource games. It's not meant to be a story game. Yeah, but the themes are really strong in those games I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good theme you... helps to create a story. I guess is about as far as you can yeah. take that. Well, I think story relies on a good theme, but a theme doesn't right this like doesn't automatically lead to a story. Yeah, yeah. and like Hive, mechanics will help with that. Yeah. The fact yeah. that Hive's theme is bugs is mostly irrelevant, but it makes it cute and fun, right? Like, there's not meant to be a story there, but that's a that's an example of a but really good would... theme. That could mm-hmm. be anything. I would push but... back. I would push back that it's irrelevant. Okay. Because the pieces move. The pieces are bugs similar to the movement the piece makes. Oh, yeah. They've they've planned that out really well. But you could do that with animals or with fish or with 
numbers. I mean, yeah. Just you you show me a fish that can pull a different fish onto its back and put it into a new spot. Nothing beats the pill bug. Uh, Sorry, I just really like the theme. What's a small <laughs> fish that bites onto a shark and then moves with the shark? Yeah, there you a go. A bigger shark, I guess. Yep. <laughs> There's always a bigger fish. A bigger shark. There's <laughs> more fish in the sea. Yeah. <laughs> well, do we have any more things to say on story? I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on and on. I could too, but... <laughs> I do really like so like I have a few games like I've said that I've either barely touched or not even played because of lack of availability of people and stuff. So I have a game called Folklore with a bunch of expansions mm-hmm. actually, which is sort of like a um, a dark fantasy sort of uh the game is the DM for you kind of a thing. Okay. So like I, I like the extra, even though I've never played it, I've looked at all of the things in great detail. And one of the things that you get with the story games is um, an entertainment value in just the, the, the reading and the pieces and, uh, you know, the ability to pick up a and d book and just kind of look at the story of a campaign or, or whatever is, is, a, is a fun part of that genre that mm-hmm. is maybe noteworthy. Is this folklore designed by uh, Folklore the Affliction? Yep. By Nick Blaine and Will Donovan. Does seem a little dark. Yeah, I kickstarted it many, 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 many years ago. And uh, it's been sitting. But I remember being like a tiny little kid and seeing whatever D&D books were on the shelves in bookstores back then. And Mm -hmm. not really knowing what it even (laughs) was. But I would still look at it because I'm like, what is this stuff? And I would just, you know, page through the the book and look at all the weird weapons and stories and stuff. And The campaign game with role-playing? Yeah, I think it's basically like... Why have we not played <laughs> That's this? what I'm wondering. Adam, quit hoarding your great games. Okay. Let's play it. Well, we have Hold one on the right go, now. so... Someday. I'm in. All right. Well, I think that takes us to our next section. If you guys are ready to move on. What's Take your favorite away. story oh. game before we move on of all time? Oh, you can't ask me questions like I'm that. asking. Oh. You have to give me one. I'm demanding three. one answer and one only. The- <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> I Okay. I have played Betrayal uh, too many times to count, I think, at this point. I would have thought Matt's answer would be easy based on past podcasts, but we'll see. It's just... Uh, I love Tales it of Radiant and Ice, up. and I love Near and Far, and I love Betrayal Legacy. I can't answer... I, uh, oh, man. I don't even think about, like, King's this Dilemma. This is great content, just us umming and awing. Oh, King's Dilemma has... Oh man. That's what I thought you were going to say. Well, Gloomhaven, <clears throat> we we have played through the whole campaign of Gloomhaven, the expansion and Jaws of the Lion. It's really good. So that's a that's a contender. Near and far, we've played through like three or four campaigns and all the characters. You got to pick one. And and bought the expansion and King's Dilemma is of those three, I probably have played Gloomhaven the most, so I'm going to pick that one. But I'm going to say the most fun I've had 
is in Betrayal Legacy. That game was phenomenal. So, not to just drag this out, but I've actually never played the Legacy version. I'm not sure what what is the Legacy part so, of the, the building? Of Betrayal? Yeah. No, okay, so hilarious. I love what they did with this one. So, each game, you start as a character, you get to name your family, so you get to make up a last name. Okay. And basically, if your character dies in the house, as happens almost every time to everyone, the next game you play is the next generation of that family. Oh, so it's like a roguelike. And eventually your character will die because through the 13 games you you play like over a century. And the house, I'm not going to give it away, but it's it's really fun. Oh, cool. Um, And yeah, you're playing you're playing a family. And part of it is you get you get. Some of the items become heirlooms, basically. So the Legacy Edition is very fun. What I love... And it's a bit more balanced, What I, I love about that, too, is let's say the Betrayer wins in one game and kills everybody else in the game. In the next game you play, that person could choose to play that character still, but is now like yep. 30 or 40 years later or whatever. So then all the other people we, are yeah. different people in the family, but that betrayer Kids. comes back and he's like an old man or whatever. Very funny. Yeah. Oh, cool. My character was like 89 at one yeah. point. It was so funny. Yeah. And do you have a favorite, Adam? All right. Me? Yep. Uh, Put you on the spot. You have to hem and haw for at least three minutes. Based Go. on my limited exposure, it would just be D&D, I think, because I've done so little. I didn't know D and D was that in the, the running. That's not a board I game. I also that's a love that one. Role we said story games. Sure. That was the only qualifier. Yeah, that's yeah, no D and D does not count as a story game. It definitely counts, and nope, it's it's count. also Hacks. my top. I have four top it, story games, and that's pick, one of them. So take that. <laughs> well, let's put an end to this nonsense. Matt, I'm going to ask you to read this email. We have an email from our favorite Brenth in the whole universe. And his email is about our last episode. So Brenth writes, Root is my all-time favorite board game, so it's hard to think of any way to improve it. If I could add something, I would probably add event cards. Can we call them Ebrent cards? Because that's his name. Yes, Ebrenth. I think Ebrents would create an interesting dynamic in Root. For example, a player draws a card that causes a wild bear to lumber into a clearing and slowly move around the board, knocking down buildings. Now suddenly the players are forced to work together to defeat the bear. There would also be some more simple events such as a, fall- a tree falling and blocking a random pathway or an extra building slot being added to a random clearing. Cool. Thank you, Brent. I like the idea of some positive stuff and some negative stuff. Hmm. Like a random building slot would be cool. I'm certainly not. Good job, Brent. An event where not... an animal comes in and just drags the raccoon to a different spot, way out of your way. Hey. Yeah. Anything hey. to get rid of the vagabond. We're not targeting my vagabond. <laughs> get out of here. The neck. Just because I won. I'm certainly not against uh, an event deck, but I think it would almost ruin the competitive nature of the game event decks have to be very perfectly balanced in a game like right. this and i think it they comes would add back some to story yeah it comes back to what we were talking about with scythe and with near and far where the the story element of the game would feel unbalanced i think see 
I I like the I like the part where the team works together. That was very to beat cool. The bear. Yeah. Um, the one I don't I think would be harder is the fallen tree because it would disadvantage specific players. Right. Yeah. So it wouldn't be balanced. Maybe there should be just more games that come with like a competitive set of rules and like a fun story set of rules where you like have event cards that you use or don't. And so yeah, let's let's stop putting energy into solo variants and have story. Variants. I yeah. just came up with the root expansion, Tales from the Forest. What is it? Oh w- man, Tales, get it? Tales of Arabian Nights events? No. No, yeah, just yeah, tales yeah, like oh. cute little animal tales, yeah, no, and I, it's got I, an event deck. I got it. It's got a, a campaign that you can play. That would be gorgeous. Oh man, be really cute. Well, there is a root role playing game. Yeah, that's true. We should do that. We should. Well, guys, yes. no one has reviewed us on iTunes. What's happening out there? You mean uh, Apple Podcast? Sure. Can I leave a review? I'm not hip on the Apple products. I don't Four and a half stars. Um, speaking of iTunes reviews, Spotify also allows reviews now, so please do that. Oh. We would love you to give us five stars or even four stars. Like, we're not... I'm a big fan of the two-star review. I mean, we'll review. like you more if you give us five stars. Two-star reviews are very thoughtful, I'm usually. I'm a very big fan of the two-star review. I don't so know what it's can... going to look like when the Spotify ones show up, but assuming I'm assuming I'll be able or will be able it, to read them. So we'll, we'll, we will also read those. It should integrate. Yeah. As they come. It'll be yeah. nice. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Feel free to contact us on the internet. If you have any questions, you can email us at the turnturtles at gmail.com. You can also send a voice clip there and we can play it on the air. Or you can contact us on the tweets, the instas, the Facebooks, I don't have a slang for that, at TurnTurtlesBG. And be sure to tune in to every other Thursday for a new episode of the Turn Turtles every Board other. Gaming Podcast. Every other. Don't we do one every week? No. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Bye. The Turn Turtles were here. That's it for now. Thanks for tuning in.